The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Each Sunday, these last couple of weeks, we've been talking about different elements in our service um, as a form of an announcement because so many of you are new to our church family. Um, And since we're not having gallery kids today and you're going to hear some small voices in the room, I want to talk to you about the the way that we do our kids ministry and why just for a moment. If those of you that have been attending these last couple of months, you realize that our children stay in the worship experience with us right up until hospitality, and then our parents usually take them up to the fourth floor. But because of the leasing agreement we have, there's a few Sundays a year that the owner of the building can lease the other spaces, and we have to adjust on Sundays, and this happens to be one of those Sundays. But what we're trying to do with our children is give them flesh and blood examples of what it looks like to worship. Give them flesh and blood examples of what it looks like for us to respond to the truth about who Jesus Christ is, to let them see those of us that are emotionally struggling with truth, to be able to express that to God. Because it's a big burden on parents to be able to talk to your children about faith, hope, and love. A lot of times it takes a community effort in order for that to take place. And so we've tried to build into the rhythm and the pattern of our church family where our children are with us for a period of time so that we can set an example that the parents can use as a teaching moment. Because I know that when my children were little, when, because I'm a pastor, they had to go to all the services. Most of the children here get a break. They only get to go to one, right? But how many of you are pastor's kids? There's a few of you, all right? Anytime the doors were open, you had to be there and you were given a responsibility. Well, we've been trying to do some things with my children that allows them to feel freedom from that. But I remember on many occasions, my son turning to me or my daughter turning to me and asking me a question about the ways that you were worshiping. And it gave me an opportunity to talk to them about why there's joy or emotion or why people choose to pray differently. And it was a great opportunity for them to grow in their faith. And that's why we keep our children in our space with us until we dismiss. And then they go upstairs and they hear a teaching that's designed for them. Most of you are like, maybe I should go to Gallery Kids because my teachings might be more designed for somebody else. Um, But uh, you're always welcome to go up and sit in if you want something that's a little bit clearer to understand. All right, let me, with that, we're going to do our public reading of our scripture right now. So Andrew, would you come on up and read that for us? The scriptures are on the screen for you. We'll be reading from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And there's Bibles available under the Lord's tables on either side if you need them. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, 
and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here at Cana in Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. This is a really popular story in the scriptures. How many of you have heard of this water and the wine um, story before? Most of you, I'm sure most hands are raised. Um, and because our kids are in the room today, I'm not going to review or, or forecast where we're going. I'm going to stick right to this story today to keep this as short as possible. But I must say this about John. John writes with strategic points of interest, okay? And when we look at this, it's almost like as if these first couple of chapters, actually the first 14 chapters in the Gospel of John, are treasure hunts. He's putting in clues. Some are very clear. Like in this particular chapter, verse 11, he says, let me tell you about the first one, the first sign. And then a few chapters from now is going to be the second sign. And then John's going to stop telling us that this is the third sign or this is a fourth sign. He's going to just give it and assume that we're disciplined to look for them. Because there's signs that he's talking about Jesus that are really important for us to see, okay, I'm this far down the trail, now I'm this far down the trail, and now I'm this far down the trail, and this is what he's doing as he's going through this gospel. And this particular scene is the first one. And I believe that he's writing it this explicitly. And I believe that he's using this way of storytelling and talking about jars and wine and weddings and Canaan specifically because of what we just talked about with Nathaniel last week. Where did, we, where did we say Nathaniel was from? Canaan, all right, or Cana, this little village. And he had a bias towards Nazareth because he said last week, what good comes from Nazareth? And so now we have a story in the hometown of Nathaniel in a moment where this massive wedding, and if you were a part of a Jewish community, you knew that everybody in the community was invited to the wedding. Everyone had to come. And then many times, if there were smaller villages close by, those people were invited because Jesus and his mother were not from this, this particular village, but yet somehow they received an invitation to come to this wedding because Jesus and his mom are there. And so this was obviously a very important wedding, and the wine at the wedding needed to last for seven days. Some of you are like, oh man. I think of some of your guys' weddings that I've been a part of here recently and thinking most of you planned like seven or eight hours worth of a great wedding day event, but you would have never planned seven days, right? There's a part of it's like, man, what would it look like for us to take seven days off and celebrate each other? That would be fantastic, actually, I believe. But in this particular community, for this family to have run out of wine would not have just been an inconvenience. It would have been a disgrace. It would have been shameful. We don't understand guilt and shame cultures, mostly here in America, because many of us, we don't care what other people think. We're just so individualized. But many of you from other places, you understand what guilt and shame culture really is like, bringing honor to your family versus bringing honor to yourself. And so the first century, there was this huge culture around how important these wedding events were and how necessary the, the wine would be. But Nathaniel was told last chapter 
the Jacob and Esau story, which was a story of Bethel, which is this place of worship where God was, this angels going up and angels coming down, and there was this place where heaven and earth came together, and there was this um, place where the, the, like heaven opened up, and the, the things of God were taking place. And Jesus used that as a reference to Nathaniel, and he said to Nathaniel, you're going to see these angels ascending and descending moments. And I want you guys to know, we just turned into the next chapter, and Nathaniel's seeing the first one. This is really, I believe, for these early followers of Jesus, where they were hearing that there was going to be moments where the heavens and earth were going to open up, and immediately, this first major event, Jesus is doing this. But there's some powerful words in this chapter. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is only referenced twice in the Gospel of John. Here, at this wedding, and next, we're not going to find her until the end of the letter when she's at the foot of the cross. Only two places John includes Mary in this particular story. And only in these two places do we begin to see this powerful moment of what God is using Mary, the mother of Jesus, to do. And so today, if there's one point that I want you to get from this short talk that I even believe our kids can gather from this is exactly what Mary said to the servants, do what Jesus tells you to do. I mean, here they had run out of wine. And imagine, nobody says, collect money and go and buy more wine. Jesus says to them, go grab the basins that are used for ceremonial washing. All right, I want you guys to understand, this was like an equivalent of a portable bathtub. So for fine wine to be produced in your bathtub, think about the condition of your bathroom right now, back at home. Some of you, especially probably men, have never realized that the shower scrub sprays really do work, right? But yet, this particular passage of Scripture has Jesus going to these basins and say, fill these things up, like 30 to 50 gallons worth of water. And Jesus begins to serve it. And the owner of this, or the, 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 the father of this bride is being approached by saying, wait a minute, usually this fine wine isn't at this point, but you brought out the best now? Why didn't you do this earlier? And so what we begin to find here in this particular passage of Scripture is that Jesus is where our truth comes from. We have to listen to what he says in order for us to begin to understand what it really looks like for heaven and earth to come together. Events like this one are giving a foreshadowing of Revelation chapter 21. I encourage you to read that this week. It's a place where there's an incredible feast. Let me ask this question. Did any of you catch the phrase in here, and on the third day the wedding ran out of wine? On the third day, Jesus what? Resurrected from the dead and started an eternal party, an eternal feast. And John here in second chapter of his letter is foreshadowing what everything is going towards, talking about the basins 
coming out of the nation of Israel, he's turning this old covenant into something that's going to be a blessing for other people. This ceremonial washing, this, the, the purification of Israel that's going to now bleed over into the Gentiles, that's now going to be offered to the rest of the world, is coming through Christ. And everything John is hinting at here is sharing the powerful story of what Christ is going to be doing and the eternal feast that's coming and so many other aspects of this particular passage of Scripture. But let me just get to the point. The transformation from the water to the wine, I believe, is the most important thing for you and I today. Because I believe John is using it to signify the effect of Jesus in our lives. And he can still affect our lives today. He can, I want you to think about the people that live in your apartment building, the people that live on your street, on your commute, your walk to work, or wherever you might be, the class that you're in. I want you to think about the people around you. And do you understand that today the power of Jesus can do, do wonders in their lives as well as yours? Jesus, John actually says in John 10.10 10, that Jesus not only came, he came that we might have life and have it to its fullest. So it's not just a water basin, it is a wine basin. The fullness of Christ. Think about your own disappointments, your own moments of shame, your own moments when you ran out of what it was that you were serving, so to speak. The moments where you felt the most empty, the moments where you felt the most disappointed, but remember that the transformation only came when Mary said to the servants, do exactly what Jesus told you to do. Jesus could have said, fill the water basins full. And the servants would have been like, that's a stupid idea. And nothing would have happened. But the servants looked into Mary's eyes and looked at Jesus and they went and did what they were told. And a transformation took place. So let me ask you guys today, as we hear the children in the room with us, as a reminder that we have to pass this on to the next generation, we have to let the transformation work of Christ work in us. And the only way that's going to happen is, let me, let me get your attention this way. I don't want anybody to miss this. The only way that you and I are going to experience the transformation that we desire is if we learn to do what Jesus asks us to do. So if he's asked us, which we're going to find in the next few chapters, if he asks you to pray, what must we do? If he asks you to lay your life down for somebody else, what, is he, what, what must we do? We must lay our life down for somebody else. If he says, love your enemies, what must we do? We can't just take the salvation story, a glad Jesus resurrected, we're going to be at an eternal feast. If we don't begin to do what Jesus asks us to do, there are going to be people around us that are not going to see heaven and earth come together in front of them so that their faith can start, so that their faith can grow, nor will we have the strength to keep walking towards the future that God wants for us. I want to come back to the fact that this particular passage not only has Mary saying something very powerful, but I also think that we need to remember that the third day has already happened. We are living in the resurrected, powerful time of Jesus Christ. 
and that power is available to us, but we must learn to do what Jesus is telling us to do. Let's pray together.